This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Patterson Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Patterson Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished and others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada, Season 2. In this episode, we explore the true extended family, our pets. Last year we rescued a dog. His name was Champ. He was just, I say, a day away from death. When we rescued him, he was about 25 pounds, but he should have been a 70-pound dog. That's Melanie Glenn, owner of A Better Chance Animal Rescue in Pincher Creek, Alberta. Her motto is rescuing one animal at a time. And for 30 years, she's been making a difference. We've got to help out shelters. It all started with our love for animals and then it's kind of just evolved into what it is now. Megan and Brett Nederloff opened their pet supply business with a how to help others built into their business plan. More on why and what they do later. Where's that cat? Cat therapy is essentially just hanging out with cats for therapeutic reasons. It has been scientifically proven that cats do improve physical and mental health. It's a -a one-of-a-kind cat cafe on Vancouver Island, run by Kelly Whiteside, and her idea came from a visit to Japan. There is actually studies that show that the health of your community is directly impacted by the animal's health in your community. The Langley Animal Protection Society is just one of the many shelters across the country helping to support animal welfare in our communities. Executive Director Sarah Jones will walk us through what they do, how they help, and the important role they play in our communities throughout the podcast. Hi there, I'm Linda Freeman, your host for Amplify Canada. First, the pandemic drove a surge in pet ownership. The long months of social and physical isolation have created a booming demand for pets. Pet adoptions have surged over the past year as Canadians turn to furry friends to bring them comfort and companionship. And then there was a drop post-pandemic. There is a growing number of pets looking for a new safe home. More and more people are giving up their animals to city-run shelters. Animal Services blames the pandemic and the rising cost of living. The increase is over 60%, or just around 800 pets. And this is in just the city shelters. It's trending right across the country. So multiply that countrywide, and you have a lot of pets in need of a new home. Now, according to recent data, more than half of Canadian households, around 60%, own at least one dog or cat. The data also detailed the increasing pet population. For 2022, the dog population increased to 7.9 million from 7.7 million in 2020. And the cat population increased to 8.5 million from 8.1 million in 2020. That's a lot of pets. Millions of people around the world love their pets and enjoy their companionship. There is now countless evidence suggesting that attachment to pets is good for human health and even helps build community. Research also shows health benefits to pet owners who have an emotional attachment to their pet. And even if you don't own a pet, there's a lot to be learned ahead. In this episode, we explore the importance the business of pets plays in the community. This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of how pets grow communities and the role of Canadian small businesses. We start our journey in Pincher Creek, a town in southern Alberta. Located immediately east of the Canadian Rockies, about 210 kilometers south of Calgary. 
It is said that the name came when a group of prospectors in the mid-1800s lost a pincer in the small creek at this location. Now, these pincers would have been used as a device for trimming the feet of horses. Now, in 1906, the community was officially incorporated as a town and named Pincer Creek. Let me introduce you to Melanie Glenn from A Better Chance Animal Rescue. She's been rescuing animals in the area for over 30 years. I grew up north of Pincher Creek, Alberta, on a ranch called the Tennessee Valley Ranch, a family of nine. We raised cattle and horses, and we had pigs. My dad was a horse trainer. He did very well at it. My mom was a animal rescue from way back. She would pick up strays alongside the road. It's all her fault that I do this. She would bring home strays all the time. We all are animal lovers from way back. All seven kids have animals from me. In my 20s, I started volunteering at a shelter and I decided that's what I'm going to do. But I didn't realize that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life, that's for sure. We have a no-kill policy. A lot of the animals that we rescue, I truly believe it is a better chance. They have a better chance at life. Love the name, a better chance. And you believe every animal you rescue has a chance to be adopted or to be loved. Do you have a particular story that stands out? Yeah, last year we rescued a dog. His name was Champ. His name is still Champ. When we rescued him, he was, I say, a day away from death. He was about 25 pounds, but he should have been a 70 pound dog. And that one just sticks in my mind. When I picked him up, his eyes were dead. He didn't wag his tail. He was so far gone that he didn't even barely eat. He had just given up. We had to help him stand. When we got him, he just slept probably for the first eight days. That's all he did. He was absolutely exhausted. We had to syringe feed him. And I started a podcast. This podcast is about all the things about animals. It's going to be funny times, sad times. I had seen a lot of incredibly bad cases, but he was honestly one of the worst. So I started a podcast called Unbreakable Animals because of that dog. There is a chance of survival. There's some animals that you can't save, but this dog just looked like he still had some life in him. And now he is in a home, completely loved. He's a good boy. And the woman brings him to the office. He goes for walks. He doesn't even look like the same dog. Amazing that Champ rallied and is now in such a good home. But it's so heartbreaking. It must be really hard to see these animals being mistreated, Melanie. Yes, we see it all the time. And I truly believe that kindness starts with animals. It has to start with kids. And then it has to be taught from the adults to the kids. And it has to be taught at a young age because the minute you treat animals with kindness, those kids are taught to treat others with kindness and it just spreads within their lives. It's extremely important to teach kids kindness with animals first. Instilling kindness. I love that. That's very true. Now, research shows that children who grow up with a pet develop higher levels of empathy and have lower stress levels. Now, can you walk us through the process of a rescue? People call if an animal is in need. Because of the amount of stray animals in our area, it's by circumstances. So, Let's say there's a pet surrender that's in a home and it's being looked after. That one goes to the bottom of the list because a lot of people are willing to wait. The ones that are in need, ones that are hungry, starving, sick, those ones go to the top of the list. When you rescue a pet in need of care, do you keep them at your facility or do you find them a foster home? It depends on what the case is. Just recently we had a cat come in with a broken leg that was dragging so that's something that it needs to be looked after right away because the cat is dragging its back leg so that's apparent that it's broken so that one goes to the vet clinic they get x-rayed and of course she needed an amputation of the back leg it's a crushed leg 
So that one can come to the shelter and recuperate. That one's too much for a foster home to take care of. And then after that, if you can't find a foster home or someone to adopt, does the animal stay in the shelter? Oh, yeah. But that's very rare that you end up not being able to find a home for an animal. There's always an animal suited for a person. There's always somebody that wants a senior dog or a senior cat or a three-legged cat. There's always a match. Melanie, tell me about the fundraising that you do. We've had to get really creative because there's so many rescues that need help. Everybody's asking for fundraising. A couple months ago, it was a dog show, so we raised money there. There's bottle drives, bake sales, but everybody's watching their money. Like, it's hard on people to survive, and it's they're not as willing to donate to rescues anymore. And is there any government funding? No, I fund my own rescue. So you completely depend on donations? You have to always be thinking of how to raise money. So you always have to be on your toes and thinking of great ideas, and it's tough. And dependent on volunteers, I'm sure. Yeah, I have one full-time employee and two part-time employees that work minimum wage. I don't know how they do it. I think it's because they believe in what we do. And they see my dedication. I mean, I don't take a wage. It's my passion to keep doing it. How easy is it to go through the adoption process? There is a website application and they can do it in the shelter as well. But there's an application online that they can click on. There's no doubt it's a lot of work for you, exhausting at times, but rewarding in the sense of finding homes for these pets. Now, what's the strangest animal you rescued? It was a dairy cow calf that I took home and bottle fed. Her name was Norma. And there's been a potbelly pig too. Melanie, what incredible dedication you had to helping animals in your community. Your mom showed you a path and it's amazing you stayed on it for over 30 years. Thank you for everything you do to help. Thank you very much. Animal House. What a wonderful house. Rescue shelters are feeling the pressure these days. Too many potential pets, not enough people adopting them. Inflation has made owning and caring for a pet more expensive, leaving some owners struggling to afford rising costs. Our next guest has been working for the past couple of decades in animal shelters. The Langley Animal Protection Society, or LAPS, is a registered nonprofit charitable society established in 2003 by a dedicated group who were eager to see positive change in the way stray, lost, and unwanted animals were sheltered and cared for in Langley, British Columbia. Their staff and volunteers use a progressive and humane approach to care for more than 1,400 dogs, cats, and large animals each year. Sarah Jones is the executive director of LAPS. So good to have you on, Sarah. I wanted to ask you first about sharing a story on the reality of some of the pets that are surrendered. Animals in shelters often end up there due to unfortunate situations. Especially right now with inflation and all the demands on life, we are seeing more and more people having to surrender their pets and we don't want them to feel guilty or bad or have a stigma around it. We're here to support. So it's important that we don't place judgment and we just have open doors and ways to support openly. Which is a fantastic perspective. We shouldn't judge or think we know someone else's story. We do work with men and women who are struggling temporarily in their lives. Some are fleeing interpersonal violence. So we will take their pets and house them here confidentially. And we will have them here so that they can go into a transition home. And we will have them for a couple of weeks while they try and find new placement and restart their lives. And we also will take animals when the people are going into drug addiction treatment. So that tends to be three or four weeks minimum that people need. And not every animal does well in a shelter environment. We are a very unnatural environment. But we will try and help those people as well so that they can get the support that they need or a senior who may not have that support who has to go into care for a short period of time. We always try to support where we can so that the animals can go back to them. I am amazed at that kind of a program. Their pets are everything. And if they do have to surrender them or they need to give them up for a period of time as they work on healing, it's nice to know that they can get that pet back again because that's also going to give them hope. We had one situation last year that 
comes to mind. And he came in and he said, you know, I'm, I don't have a job. I can't afford my dog. He loved him so much. And he was so upset. He was like a Aussie doodle. That's what he was. And we said, why don't we hold on to him for a little while to see if you can get yourself situated and find yourself somewhere to live? And he said, no, 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 no. I'm just going to surrender him. And we said, okay. So we took him as a surrender, but we held him for two weeks. And he came back in a suit, had a job, had a place to live, and was reunited with his dog. (laughs) That is what it's about. It's about making sure that they have those connections as long as possible. And the dog was doing fine. And we didn't post him because we had hoped that he would come back for that connection. What an incredible story that is. And the fact that you just knew, you knew to hold on, you knew to wait to see whether or not you would be able to come back. And I love the fact that your organization has an enrichment program to help with the stress that animals go under so that they can be healthier and happier. We do have a lot of farm dogs. I mean, most of our dogs that come in are giant breed, you know, huge dogs that have lived outside and maybe in the barn or what have you. And we have to actually transition them into becoming house dogs. So we don't want them to be left in their kennels at all times. And we're lucky because we're able to manage our population that we have in shelters. If an animal's accepted into our shelter, we want to make sure we can give them the best care. They are our focus. The big thing is that dogs who are in kenneling situations, they get bored. And that boredom leads to stress. And so it's really important to keep their brain active as much as their body. It's just amazing what you're doing. And it is so connected. I mean, there's so many small businesses locally and right across the country and worldwide that support our animals. And they also do incredible things in the community. So do you work with any of the local pet supply places or other organizations that bring it full circle for you guys? I always say that relationships are what makes business go around. I've been doing this a really long time. So when you look back into when I started in animal welfare, the organizations didn't never even spoke to each other. You just did your own thing. And I think it's been really remarkable to see us all progress to realize that animals don't have boundaries. They don't know what the border of one municipality to the next is and that we can share our resources and start elevating some of those things. And we're very lucky in our veterinary clinics in our community. They're so generous to us. And we do have some partnerships with some pet stores as well. Thank you, Sarah. And let's pause there for now and continue on our journey of pet discovery and check in with a small business that supports pets. We head to Red Deer, Alberta to Brindle Pet Supplies and meet up with owners Megan and Brett Nederloff, longtime animal lovers. Welcome. Now, as pet lovers, you started your business as an easier way to buy pet food, but also as a means to help the community, specifically shelters. In 2019, we started planning how we could build a business around that. And then it turned into what we have now. And we've developed our business plan around helping local shelters and being advocates of telling people the great work that they do and why it's so necessary for the communities. So it all started with our love for animals and then it's kind of just evolved into what it is now. What big hearts you both have, volunteering your time to help animals in need and how that plays into the foundation of your business. A big reason that we started our business was because we do have such a passion for rescue and for animal welfare. Prior to starting our business, we did a lot of volunteer work with shelters and we really had our eyes kind of open to the importance and the need for shelters. There's just so many animals that are mistreated and homeless that just need and deserve love. Our hearts and our minds were really open to the impact that rescue has on our community. We've adopted three pets ourselves and counting hopefully more in the future so yeah we've always been really really passionate about it and we knew that when we started brindle we wanted to use our platform to really help make a impact on those local charities and shelters such a beautiful thing you're doing how specifically do you help out so we do partner with several of the shelters in our area and we offer a program with them where we offer a wish list on our website and we give 15% off all donation orders and free shipping. So we hand deliver every order to the shelters ourselves. 
package everything ourselves. So it makes it a really convenient and easy way for people to donate to their preferred shelters from anywhere in Canada. So that's a big bonus as well. So through our program that we've set up, we've seen over $85,000 in donations facilitated and delivered. And then we've also personally donated over 90,000 in supplies and funds just through our business, through Brindle, since our opening, since our conception. So we're really proud of that. We're really proud of the impact and the difference that we feel we're making through Rescue. And that's amazing. Well done. You should be proud of that. It's an incredible accomplishment. Now, what about the educational side of all this? Getting the word out to others about the importance of pet support in our communities. We're also super passionate about and find it really important to educate people on the importance of rescue. So we are big advocates for that as well, for educating the community, educating our customers and our audience of why it's important to rescue and how much benefit and love and joy you can get from adopting rather than shopping for a pet. You started your business just before everything shut down for the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but you were a delivery service. So did that actually help you? Like all businesses, we did see challenges throughout COVID, but we were positioned in a way that I think was very beneficial and allowed us a lot of opportunity that maybe some traditional retail stores did not have. When we did our planning and we conceptualized Brindle Pet Supplies, we always wanted to be online first. Our business model was to be an online pet supplier. Having that sort of foresight to get into e-commerce and get into online really did help propel us forward as opposed to a lot of our competition who were more traditional retail had to sort of react to pandemic, whereas we were already prepared in a way for it just by already offering online services. And as you said, quite the foresight, having a business model that incorporated delivery, like e-commerce, giving you that competitive edge right out of the gate. How did it all work? We do stock and we have from the beginning stocked everything that we sell in our store or in our own warehouse and retail store. That was definitely a challenge during COVID because it did affect our supply chain just like it did everyone else. And so, you know, when we started, we had anticipated It would be easier to stock our own products. Everything you see on our website is available in store. We didn't have any experience in the delivery business. So pretty quickly, we realized we needed help with the actual deliveries. And just there was so much time in the day, you know, you can't do everything. So Mm -hmm. throughout the last couple of years, we've had a couple employees and we contract the deliveries out to a local business. So we did start originally just servicing our local area, but we have since expanded to shipping across all of Canada. Shipping across the country would be a huge jump. How was the competition? When we first started planning in 2019, there was a few, but very few, and very few were willing to ship a 25 pound bag of dog food or something heavy and big because it's very expensive. and. There's a few more now, but it is still pretty much dominated by big box retailers. And where do you go from here? Growth, open up your own shelter, like what's next? We wanna continue doing what we're doing. We have seen the hard work that goes into the shelters. And so we'd love to continue supporting the ones around us. If we could set up a program, who knows what'll happen in the future, but volunteering more, raising more awareness because still people haven't really heard of it, even though it is becoming more common now, but people don't really know that you can adopt a dog that is a puppy. It's the same as if you got it from a breeder or something like that, or even an adult dog, we've adopted an adult dog ourselves. So even just raising more awareness, I think is key and just continuing to hopefully the donation numbers that Megan mentioned, just increasing those. Mm -hmm. We want to donate more personally. We want to facilitate more donations. Whatever the shelters need, really, we want to kind of be there for them and and help them out. And because you were both talking about the lack of education and the stigma about adoption in shelters, can you speak a little bit more about the importance of adopting? We've adopted two dogs and one cat. And one was a puppy, one was an adult dog, and our cat was an adult cat. And The stigma is kind of that you can't train a a shelter animal as well as you can train 
a puppy from a breeder, or they're unpredictable. Sixth, good boy. You know, it couldn't be further from the truth because ultimately some animals can be unpredictable, but it doesn't really matter if you get it from a shelter or from a breeder. The animals that we've seen firsthand from the shelter are the most compassionate, loving pets that are out there. They're so happy to have shelter and food and, and a home and a loving family that they really show that day to day. And so if you spent some time in the shelter or if anyone's spent some time in the shelter, they would see instantly that all they want is love and they're just happy to have food and shelter. If everyone could spend a little bit of time with the shelters, it would erase any of the stigma that exists now. Yeah. As Brett mentioned, when we adopted our adult dog, she was malnourished. She was very, very scared, very timid. And within weeks of having her, she's the most loyal, grateful, biggest cuddle bug in the entire world. Like she's a totally different dog. So they're just incredibly resilient. And it, we just think it's so important to educate people. It is so important to adopt, to try to eliminate puppy mills and unhealthy breeding and the incredible expense. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I couldn't disagree more. And as you just stated, you can't either. And shelters are trying to save lives. You can't even imagine how many animals come and go from the shelter. There's such an overpopulation of animals that need help and that need to get from bad situations into better situations. So it's just always our first choice and we hope that a lot of people will consider adopting in the future. Brett and Megan, thank you for everything that you do, for having such big hearts and for taking the time to help communities through the care and compassion you have and for creating a small business model that helps our communities. We're just happy to share a little bit about ourselves and really happy to raise awareness for the shelters. In research published on aging and social participation, it showed that interactions involving pets can have a health protective effect. It's called zoea. And it's the idea that pets, also known as companion animals, can be good for human health. In fact, pet owners in Germany and Australia were found to visit their doctor 15% fewer times annually than non-pet owners. Now we head back to the executive director of the Langley Animal Protection Society, LAPS. And let's talk a bit more about when people do surrender animals and pets, as it is often a very difficult choice. Sarah, quite often people give up pets because life circumstances give them no choice. And that's got to be hard. We see it sadly more often than we want to, obviously. A story comes to mind that we just experienced last week, which was a young woman, probably in her 30s. She was homeless or houseless, living out of her car. And when she did get to sleep on somebody's couch, she would bring her cat with her. And he was so stressed by the transition of her life and the lack of routine that he would actually pee inappropriately on the people who were housing her for the night's furniture. So he became a barrier to her being able to have safety and security and his own safety and security because he obviously wasn't doing well with it when he's behaving in that manner. She did not want to surrender him, but life circumstances led her to that and she knew it was what's needed for him and for her. And we just made the promise and commitment to her that we'd find the best placement for him that we could. But like, as she's leaving, she shows me that she has a tattoo of him on her foot. And she's had him since kittenhood. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I'm a pet lover, I have two dogs, they're both rescues. And they're also so good for our mental health. So when you see someone who's already struggling, that pet's bringing so much into their lives, it's very difficult to see them have to give that up. So let's talk in the bigger picture about the importance of the animal protection agencies. Oh, thank you uh, for recognizing that. There's a lot of work being done by not-for-profits and welfare agencies and human and animal and those social services. And I mean, ultimately, we see ourselves as a social service. 
because it is a connection between animals and people. And as you said a minute ago, they're so good for our mental health and they're part of our family. We have an enforcement side of our jobs where we make sure that animals have that protection and people are being responsible with their pets and they may be heading down a path that we don't want them to go down where it escalates to something more and it becomes a bigger problem. So we might see someone with four or five cats who's not spaying and neutering, but if you were to leave them and not provide them with support around spay and neuter, food banking, etc., they may end up having a hoarding situation on their hands in a year or two. It's very easy to spiral. And so we end up being able to be that front line and able to help support them in that so they don't escalate. And it's that humane control of animals in our communities that I think is also so vital and so important. People who love animals don't want to see harm come to them. So anything that we can put into place is very, very helpful. And it's very healthy for a community. There is actually studies that show that the health of your community is directly impacted by the animal's health in your community. Great perspective and great way to put it. But just to give people an understanding and maybe people that absolutely don't know what an animal control organization does, can you just kind of give us an overview of what it is overall that you do in our communities? People are always very surprised at all the different things that we do. And then we realize we're really bad at talking about what we're doing because we're so busy doing it. We have quite a few programs that help and we partner a lot with other social service groups. And to be honest, we're not meeting all the need. Unfortunately, inflation and impact and donations are down. And so it is hard, but our stable programs right now that are really consistent and supportive of the community, one is our called our Majors Legacy Fund. And that fund actually helps with urgent veterinary care. So we can help with that urgent medical care and we do have regular people using that. We also assist with spay and neuter. So we have amazing community vet partners who will help reduce the cost of spay and neuter. We'll pay for that for people to help with the overpopulation issue. Spay and neuter and access to veterinary care is one of the biggest struggles right now with pet owners. And it's not the vet's fault. They have to operate. They got to open their doors. They got to pay their staff. So we're really lucky to have some very generous vets who basically pull out of their own pocket to help support these programs. And their staff all donate their time because they believe in spay and neuter because ultimately having an excess of animals causes suffering in our animal population. And then we also have food banking and we work with other organizations. There's one in particular in the city that works with very low income. They have a free store and we will actually donate food to them so that they can hand that out. So it kind of like all connects together. And then we also obviously do adoption services. We do consultations for dog training. It's interesting because a lot of the dogs that, you know, we've talked about COVID dogs and everyone's like, oh, we got all these COVID dogs. It's not that people have gone back to work. These COVID dogs have had isolation. And so they haven't had the same social interactions as a normal puppy would outside of COVID. So they have higher instances of fear which leads to aggressive responses, which owners can't handle because they just don't have the skill set to understand how to manage it. I love that you brought that in and talked about what a lot of those cases actually are. And it's not just people wanting to unload their dogs. I mean, there is a connection to COVID for sure with, you know, inflation and the impacts of, you know, we went through a pandemic. And the pandemic affected so many different things like access to veterinary care, et cetera. It's all sort of layered and complicated. Layered and complicated. That is often life, isn't it? Thank you, Sarah. We'll come back one more time later in the podcast to talk about the rewards and hardships of working in the field. Let's head over the Rocky Mountains and across the Pacific Ocean until we hit Vancouver Island, British Columbia and land at Kitties and Cream Cafe, Vancouver Island's first and only cat lounge. You can pop in and enjoy a drink and a snack in the cozy cat lounge and possibly leave with a new family member as it's full of a mixture of resident and adoptable cats. What an incredible operation owner Kelly Whiteside has put together. Kelly, your mission is to increase cat adoptions on Vancouver Island. Now, how did you come up with this idea? I hadn't been allowed cats as a kid because of allergies in the family. I didn't 
really have any friends with cats, so I didn't have a lot of exposure to cats as a child. And then when I finally was able to adopt cats, that was fantastic. And then when I went to Japan, I heard about a cat cafe and I went to visit. It just made me so happy being in an environment like that. And it made me think of how much I would have appreciated having something like that when I was younger and when I was in university and renting and not able to have any pets of my own, how much it would have meant to me to have a place to go and get some cat therapy myself. And then when I was adopting, how nice it would have been to get to know the cats a bit better before adopting. Although a bit different from cafe environment to home environment. Most people don't have 15 other cats. <laughs> so sometimes the cat will still be different at home, but it definitely gives you a better idea of their personality. So being at a cat cafe in Japan and just seeing how it ran and how happy it made me and how happy it made others, I just couldn't get the idea out of my head of how good of an idea it was and how much I wish something like that existed here. And then I just kept waiting for somebody to open one on the island so it was more accessible and nobody ever did. So eventually I was like, heck, why not me? It takes lots of commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. And you have to also respect the pet and respect that they also have needs and emotions. Mm -hmm, definitely. All of our cats that come to us have been in foster homes prior to coming with us. So we make sure that they are properly socialized before they come to the cat lounge and not every cat is going to be a good fit for that environment but we want to make sure that the cats are happy and they're healthy and we keep a close eye on them to make sure that they're not overwhelmed or stressed out while they're in the cat lounge because we don't want to cause trauma to them we do know that most of them have been through a lot already and then we keep that in mind too when we're trying to find the right home for them we don't do the first applicant, it's the right applicant. You also provide cat therapy. I love this. Cat therapy is essentially just hanging out with cats for therapeutic reasons. It has been scientifically proven that cats do improve physical and mental health, which was a huge thing during COVID. So even though we weren't able to get adoptable cats at that time, we focused on the cat therapy and it seemed to be quite popular. You opened during the pandemic and were a pretty unique business. We are definitely more cat than cafe. So we don't have anything that is house-made. We only have pre-packaged food and beverages. Like we have sugar cookies and chocolates and meowcarones. Yeah, love the play on words there. People were able to come in and hang out with the cats in the cat lounge because we're technically considered a retail shop and the cats are just kind of an accessory. And once the restrictions were lifted, what was the process of bringing in cats for adoption or for more cat therapy? We ended up partnering with a few different rescues. Most of our cats actually come from Saskatchewan. So because of all the travel restrictions, we weren't able to get cats from Saskatchewan until things subsided a bit. And then we also do have two partners locally, but they don't provide us with very many cats just because they more or less have things under control and don't need our cat lounge as much as the Saskatchewan rescues do. But we do partner with all four different rescues. How did you end up partnering with the Saskatchewan organization? When we were opening, we had this idea of, you know, there's such an overpopulation problem here. This is going to be fantastic. We're going to help them out. And most of the rescues here already have other partnerships. So they have things going well for them and they're able to keep things under control. And then a few rescues in Saskatchewan ended up reaching out to us and telling us about how much they're struggling and you know how they have cats on the wait list and they're just not being adopted. Like some of the cats that they have there, they've had born in care and have been in care for like one year, two years, and they've had zero applications. And we just love being able to help them take some cats off of their wait list and raise some funds so that they can rescue some more. 
You were nominated by your community for Amplify Canada because of all the amazing things you do to support your local rescues, Kelly. Yeah, we only partner with rescues. We do raise funds and accept donations on behalf of our rescue partners. And most of the funds that we raise goes to just like the everyday care of the cats in the cat lounge from the rescues. And then when we have extras, like if we do a big event and get a lot of donations, then we pass it on to the rescue directly to do what they need to do with it. How do you see the future of your business? We're actually hoping to expand our business to a bigger location. We're just waiting for the right location for us so that we can have a better space for the cats and be able to support the rescues more and rely less on foster homes. We hear a lot about finding that forever home for pets as it can be very traumatic going from one location to another. So when someone comes to you and wants to adopt a cat, what's the process? So the first thing is that they do need to meet the cats that they are interested in adopting before being able to apply. Once they have met the cat and they feel like that's the right cat for them, then they just ask us for an application and we will assist them during that process, giving them feedback on you know, how we felt the session went with that cat and answering any questions they may have about that. I like to think that us and our rescue partners do a really good job of vetting applicants and we make sure that they are very aware that a cat is a lifetime commitment and that it's not just something to keep you company while you're working from home kind of thing. I wish more people would adopt instead of shop for a pet. And then people don't understand the toll it takes on the pet because they finally found a home. They have a connection with you, they feel safe, and then you give them away. Yeah, and they don't know. They don't understand. You can't explain to them what's going on. They just don't understand. (laughs) We keep growing and helping more cats, and it's just such a good feeling being able to be such an important part of these cats' lives and helping people too, helping them find the right cat. And even if they're not looking to adopt, you know, you can see how happy people are when they visit the cat lounge. Thanks, Kelly. Is this for you? Is this for you? Are you able to be adopted? You are, sweetie. You're on hold. According to the Centre for Disease Control, the CDC, studies have shown that the bond between people and their pets is linked to several health benefits including decreased blood pressure, cholesterol levels, triglyceride levels, feelings of loneliness, anxiety, and symptoms of PTSD. So back to LAPS. And Sarah, I would love to end with the message of hope. I've always adopted dogs. My parents did when I was young. You know, we never went to a breeder. And we've had fabulous, incredible pets. I always say a pet is only as bad as the owner. You know, even when they come from different situations, there's always ways to work through it. And with organizations like yours, there's the support out there, as you said, there's training and things like that that is available. So what message can we end with that you can give to people listening if they are wanting a pet? Yeah, I definitely think going to the organizations animal welfare organizations and shelters is a great step and I know sometimes it can seem like it's hard you've got to fill out an application and you have to go through a process some organizations want to do home checks and I think it's just important to remember that the animal welfare organizations such as ours we have our process not because we want to judge you we want to find the right match for you and that's what it's about we know our animals very well and we want to make sure that you have a mutually beneficial relationship that will sustain itself through the whole life of the pet that you're adopting into your family and so that's what LAPS does we provide that support so people can come back to us if they're struggling with a behavior issue that pops up suddenly we can say yeah we'll talk you through that If you're adopting, then you know you're getting as much information as possible about that animal and you're being set up for success. Yeah, and that's a great message. We know that things are tough right now. You know, those who can support animal welfare organizations, please do, because you're not just supporting animal welfare, you're supporting people as well. 
you're supporting mental health, you're supporting drug addiction. We even have a prison program where our dogs work with inmates. You're supporting social economic issues, even when you're supporting pets. So if you can support, support. And if you need support, reach out because there's no shame of it. We all, I my personally have struggled with access to veterinary care, you know, and we need that help and we're here to help you. And please don't let your animals suffer just because you're worried about asking because we don't place that judgment. Sarah, thank you so much. What an incredible conversation and your knowledge and depth of knowledge being in this for so long. Is it rewarding for you or is it just a combination of rewarding and just super hard? It does take its emotional toll on those in the industry. We are very mindful of mental health. We are very mindful of compassion fatigue and burnout. And when you do have that constant revolving and it never stops, that can be really hard. And a lot of the people who work here, they are so dedicated to animals and they're in it because they love animals. So to be constantly exposed to animals that may have come from not a great situation or may be suffering or may need some help, you have to take care of your people as much as you're taking care of the animals in your shelter. So I've gone from frontline worker in my career to executive director. And to me, it's very rewarding when we have an amazing day. We do a red carpet walkout where we clap out the dog that's been here for a long time. And we all get to celebrate as a team and really imprint those positivities in our minds. And we all get to celebrate together and we have a win. I think those are really important to document. So that is the reward for me, for sure. Well said. Thank you. Since 2005, LAPS has taken a proactive approach to dog licensing by sending canvassers out into the community. From March to October, they go door-to-door selling licenses. Now, the canvassers sell an average about 3,000 licenses every year and have helped LAPS increase the number of licensed dogs by 180%. You may be asking, why license your pet? Well, pet licenses assist in the fast and safe return of your pet if lost. A license is immediately visible to anyone who finds your pet and shows that your pet belongs to someone, and if lost, it will help ensure your pet is returned home faster and or spends less time in a shelter. There's a new dog in town, and he made the team. Adopt a teammate today. Through hard work, creativity, perseverance, and true dedication supporting our pets, it's at the core of many Canadian community businesses and not-for-profits. So thank you, Melanie, Kelly, Sarah, and Megan and Brett for your stories and insight. Now head out the door. There's an amazing pet ready to be loved and businesses to explore. And thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated them for Amplify Canada. We've always included music in our Amplify Canada podcast, as music is big and small business in this country. We wanted to bring you an update on one of the artists, Rosalind Witter. You may remember her from season one, but no worries if not. She's a Canadian country music singer-songwriter, and we featured her along with her dad, award-winning country music singer-songwriter, Jim Witter. Since we connected, Rosalind has been performing wherever possible, released the single Good Vibes at the beginning of the year, and was recognized by the Country Music Association as Ontario's Artist of the Month in March. Rosalind continues to make it clear that she's not following the norms. With her father's guidance and a similar taste in music, they have collaborated on a style that's true to her nature. I grew up hopping on stage with him from an early age. We always listened to great music in the house. And I think having the support of my parents really allowed me to find my voice and They did definitely encourage me to follow my passion. Country music is all about storytelling, and that is what Rosalind Witter is doing. Here's her latest release, Letting Her Go. You were a thorn in her garden. You were the rust on a chain. 
Somehow the life she created Always came in second place You pulled her in your broken home Out of the only city that she's ever known Well, I hate you for making her cry And I hate you for breaking her was Letting Her Go by Rosalind Witter. You can follow her on Instagram.com Rosalind Witter Music, YouTube.com forward slash at Rosalind Witter, and on Spotify or wherever you get your music. You've been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Pattison Media designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to PattisonMedia.com. This is a presentation of Pattison Media. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Pattison Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.